Hey there, survivalists. Welcome to the Crux, true survival stories. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I am your host, Tessa King, and as always, I am joined by my sister and co-host, Casey McIntosh. Today, we'll be talking about Reshma Begum, who is 19 years old and working in a garment factory when the building she was working in suddenly collapsed. The building Reshma was working in was called the Rana Plaza, and it was owned by a man named Sohel Rana, who was a member of the political party in power at the time. This was in 2013. The building housed several different garment factories, which employed about 5,000 people. It also included several shops and a bank. The garment factories manufactured apparel for brands including Prada, Gucci, Versace, and Walmart. Oh, so fancy, not fancy. Yeah. (laughs) And this is in Bangladesh. Oh, I was going to ask you. It's very interesting for me to think about these very, very high-end brands being manufactured in a country like Bangladesh. In the same building as Walmart. Walmart. (laughs) Exactly. It says a lot. Yeah. So after this building collapsed, surprise, (laughs) head of the Bangladesh Fire Service and the Civil Defense said the upper four floors of the building had been completed without a permit. Oh. So not very good conditions. The builder also explained that the building was not planned for factories. Rather, the building was planned for offices and shops. It was not meant to house this great machinery and the weight of it all. The other question I would have would be, are those top floor, the top four floors, were they actually in the initial design plan if they weren't, if there was no permit for it? Yeah, it sounds sketchy. (laughs) And up to code, probably not. Probably not. And especially not for heavy machinery. On the day before the collapse, April 23rd, 2013, a television channel recorded footage that showed cracks forming in the plaza. Foreshadowing. Yeah, the building was evacuated that day. However, later that day, the owner, Sohel Rana, insisted that the building was safe and the workers would return the next day. So hell, this will be done. Exactly. Uh, And the managers of these garment workers, they threatened to withhold a month's pay to employees who would not come back to work. And a big thing about this is that there's a lot of pressure to get orders out in time to other countries. Oh, man. Early on April 24th, the building collapsed around 857. The only floor intact was the ground level. That day, there were about 3,122 people in the building. Oh my goodness, that is a disaster. Yes. It looked like an earthquake had struck. When this happened, the UN offered assistance, but the government of Bangladesh refused the offer, saying that the local emergency responder services could handle the rescue. Why would you tell people no? I don't understand that. Well, it was seen as a face-saving action. They didn't want to look like they were not capable and they couldn't handle it. Or, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. Exactly. Maybe Maybe that. The rescue operation had many inadequately equipped volunteers. They didn't have any protective clothing, and many of the rescuers worked in sandals. 
That's not the kind of footwear you want in this scenario. Not at all. The death toll was 1,134. Wow. Actually, I'm surprised at how many people made it out alive. Mm -hmm. Well, and about a third of the people in the building survived. The third that was on the main level? Or sorry, a third about of the people died. It's considered the deadliest structural failure and the deadliest garment factory disaster in history. Over 2,000 people made it out, but they were injured. And you're right. It's mostly the people on the lower level. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I would also wonder is what what is the hospital equipped to deal with? That's, That's a lot of yeah, injured people. Exactly. And it sounds like if the rescuers are in sandals, they're not they're not uh, from the hospital or firefighters or whatever. It sounds like civilians, right? To mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and some of those people probably got injured in the rescue attempt too. How many people did you say were involved in the rescue? Did you say? It didn't say. It didn't say. And there's a lot of, I had to piecemeal a lot of articles together. I think it's just because it's Bangladesh Yeah. that it's hard to find information. And even about our gal, Reshma, it's hard to find her account excuses, of being Excuses, excuses, <laughs> excuses. That's what I'm hearing out of your mouth right now. <laughs> I can leave. <laughs> if you yeah. don't want to hear the rest of the no, story. It's okay. Go on. So Reshma was a seamstress who worked on the second floor of the plaza. She had taken a job there three years prior, and she earned about 4,700 takas, which is about 60 U.S. dollars a month. Oh, wow. And I looked it up. Average wages for this time in 2013 were about 439 U.S. dollars per year. So actually, this was a good gig for Reshma. She was making about $720 per year. Wow. But also working conditions and people who want you to work in a collapsing building. I don't know. Yeah. Pros and cons. (laughs) Pros and cons. It's like this mine we were talking about where they knew that it was sketchy, but they got paid more than any other mine. I was thinking the same exact thing. Yeah. The morning of the accident, she had failed to eat her breakfast and instead grabbed four packets of dried biscuits along with a bottle of water. Way to go, Rushma. Yeah. Coming into work, several employees were outside the building trying to refuse entry. But their managers were insistent that there was no problem with safety and that the employees needed to enter to do their work. When the building collapsed that day, she could hear screams of colleagues. Clouds of dust surrounded her, threatening to choke her. Reshma said, When it happened, I fell down and was injured in the head heavily. Then I found myself in darkness. Her hair had gotten trapped under the rubble after the collapse, but she was able to find some sharp objects in the debris and was able to cut her hair to free herself. Wow. That's actually probably the best thing that could be trapped because your hair doesn't have it's blood not vessels. Alive. Yeah. <laughs> this is not an Aaron Ralston situation. She said, another person, a man, was near me. He asked for water. I could not help him. He died. He screamed, save me, but he died, she said. I can't remember everything that happened. In the mornings, she could hear rescuers nearby. She would later say, I heard voices of the rescue workers. I kept hitting the wreckage with sticks and rods to attract their attention. 
of course, she was in this wreckage for a long time, so initially it didn't do anything. So this was how far in? She's obviously been there 24 hours at least. Yeah, so altogether she spends 17 days trapped. What? Yes. No way. Yeah. She lay trapped beneath thousands of tons of wreckage. The outside temperatures climbed into the mid-90s. Oh. She said, no one heard me. It was so bad for me. I never dreamed I'd see the daylight again. That's horrible. Yeah, and there's not a lot of details, like I said, but can you imagine being trapped in a tight space with someone who just died next to you in 90-degree heat? And maybe that wasn't even the only person that passed away. Yeah. Probably not. It's just what she was maybe aware of. She also said, there was some dried food around me. I ate the dried food for 15 days. So it turned out that skipping breakfast helped save Reshma's life. How so? Because because she brought brought food food to work. Yeah, got it. And she had also brought water with her. And luckily, this was supplemented by bottles of water dropped by rescuers. The rescue teams had been told to push bottles down every hole and cavity they stumbled across in hopes that these would funnel down underneath to help anybody who was trapped. So she actually got some of those bottles? Yeah, sounds like it. Reshma said, The last two days, I had nothing but water. I used to drink only a limited quantity of water to save it. I had some bottles of water around me, so obviously some funneled through. She told her rescuers there were no more survivors in the area. This was later. But workers began tearing through nearby rubble, hoping to find other people alive. So she kept doing her thing where she heard rescuers in the morning, and she would hear their voices, and she just kept hitting the wreckage with sticks and rods to get their attention. That's all she could do. That would feel pretty hopeless. Mm-hmm. And just think about being in the dark. I yes. mean, if, there's, if you're totally buried, there's probably almost no light at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we touched base on how many people were in the building. Many of the building's employees have been able to flee, but as many as 1,500 could have been buried in the rubble. After several weeks of searching, rescue workers had pretty much given up on finding anyone else alive. That makes sense. One afternoon, an army sergeant, Abdur Razak, was helping search through the 7,000 tons of rubble when he picked up the sound of metallic tapping. He rushed to the spot, and when he knelt down, he could hear a voice. It was Reshma who was saying, please help me. Oh, my goodness. And I think part of this is after these days of working, I would imagine all of this stuff is really, really loud. Oh, yeah. So to hear someone tapping underground is probably difficult. So I'm sure it helped that they had almost given up by the point they heard her. Maybe that's why they didn't hear her before. That's what, just, yeah. that's what I'm getting at. Reshma had been breathing through a pipe from inside the wreckage. So that's part of the reason she was alive. So bulldozers were quickly put into use, and they lifted up some of the rubble from the spot. Rescuers could see her standing in a gap between a beam of concrete and a slab. For an hour, rescuers used light hammers, drills, and saws to remove rods and concrete blocks. Eventually, a military engineer was able to climb into the space where Reshma was and pull her out. She had luckily sustained no serious injury from the collapse. Just a really bad haircut. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And take it. (laughs) The head of the military was quoted later 
Reshma told me there were three others with her. They died. She did not see anyone else alive there. So other than the one man she had talked about earlier. So that's the basics of our story. The aftermath for Reshma, as of 2020, she is married with a four-year-old daughter, and she also is able to speak English and works at a five-star hotel. Oh, good for Reshma. Yeah. She said, when I worked in a garment factory, I found it difficult to arrange two meals a day, but now we are doing fine. She is now making about 35,000 tacos per month, which is about 412 U.S. dollars a month. Wow, so much better. So much better. So she's saying that she can feed herself every day, essentially. And she's trying to help other people in need. Uh, During all of the stuff with the coronavirus, she and her husband were helping feed other people who were in need. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, she sounds like a real good girl. Yeah, and she would only be like 23 now. Wow, she's pretty... Wait, okay, never mind. 2013 is when this happened. (laughs) My math is wrong. She was 19 then. Oh, okay. And so... She's, she's older. <laughs> well, she Excuse still has me. a heart of gold. She's got it going on. Yeah. Yeah, didn't you know it's only 2017 now? <laughs> wow. Cool. Cool. The aftermath of the collapse, I wanted to touch base on that. The owner of the Rena Plaza and eight other people, including the owners of the garment factories, were detained. The Capital Development Authority filed a case against the owners of the building and the five garment factories inside it. On the side, garment workers were rioting, targeting commercial buildings and garment factories. And on the 1st of May, which is International Workers' Day, thousands of protesting workers paraded to demand safer working conditions for employees. And also, on the side, the death penalty for the owner of the Rana Plaza. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I bet that didn't happen. It totally didn't. You know what happened to him? What? The owner, Sohal Rana, only spent six months in jail. Turd. Six months. However, and I heard this from Wikipedia, so I don't know how legit it is, but it sounds like he'll be tried for murder, but the trials have been delayed due to appeals made on his behalf to the Supreme Court of Bangladesh. Who's making appeals on his behalf? I don't know. Um, the question I would have would be the garment owner or like the companies, do they have any role in where they decide to have their products produced or if they're like totally, oh, yeah, or if they're totally like off the hook because it's not their building. Right. So that's the next thing I was going to touch base on. Oh, touch base away. Thank you. There was a meeting a week after this collapse for retailers, such as the ones who were employing these factories, right? Mm. They wanted a new accord on factory building safety in Bangladesh. And it was created and a deadline was set to sign it. But Walmart, along with 14 other North American companies, refused to sign the accord. Yeah, so there's a reason I guess people don't like Walmart. I won't get into it, but... could definitely be on the list. Sure. As of May 23rd, 2013... 38 companies had signed the accord, though, so that's good. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) It's an expose on Walmart. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't sue me. (laughs) And also, do you know what to do if you're in a collapsed building or what not to do? 
um, what not to do before or after it collapses. As it's collapsing. I mean, I would after think... After it's collapsing. It would be the same kind of thing as an earthquake. You have to find yes. something that you think is supportive and stand under that and hope it doesn't fall on your head. Yeah, so I read an article in the Miami Herald, and it gave some plot points for you. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, number one, do not try to escape by elevator. I think duh. that's... Yeah, <laughs> duh. <laughs> It's the most dangerous thing you can do because the cable can snap, which would cause you to plummet to your death. And also the electricity could go out and the shaft, the elevator shaft around you will crumble. So that does not sound like a good choice. No, no good. Don't do it. And then do anything to get out of the building. If you are below three stories, windows are viable options. So if you're three stories up, don't jump out a window. Then go for a stairwell because they are often reinforced. Oh, good to know. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that's a good one. And this article said that several World Trade Center survivors will, were found in stairwells. So hmm. saved them. If you can't get into a stairwell, go into a hallway because there will be less debris to crush you. Otherwise, if you can't do that, go to the center of a room. And I guess that makes sense, especially if there's a hallway. If it's a multi-story building and there's a hallway. Hallway, hallway. Yeah, all above you. Nothing's falling through to hurt like you. desks or yeah. machines. Yes. And then it says, if all else fails, finding a sturdy piece of furniture and curling up beside it is a good move. But don't go underneath it. Hmm. Being beside the furniture allows it to deflect some of the falling debris and eliminates the chance of you getting pinned beneath the furniture if it crumbles. That makes sense. So don't duck under the dining room table. Don't do it. <laughs> and then if you are trapped, if you are going to be buried in debris, you need to put your hands and arms in front of your face to create a pocket of breathable air. Hmm. It's another makes, good tip. Yeah, that makes sense. And then stay low to the ground because if a fire breaks out, the smoke inhalation will be detrimental to your health. Or your life. Yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> If you are trapped under debris, try to signal with a flashlight or phone. And this article said, don't bang on pipes or make loud noises because it could actually cause further collapse. Oh. So what Reshma was doing, it did save her life, but that's not the go-to move. I mean, at a certain point, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. What other choice did she really have in that moment? Exactly. And what did I say? 7,000 tons of debris. (laughs) Wow. It's a lot. lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's the story of Reshma and Bangladesh. And it's actually crazy to talk about this stuff because it seems like my mental image of a sweatshop, which seems like it shouldn't exist anymore, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately does. So we're just lucky to be where we're at. That's true, for sure. Yeah. That's my story. The other thing is to be somewhere where, for the most part, I mean, things obviously happen. We know that Mm -hmm. as of recently, you know, with the Florida collapse, but Mm -hmm. the building standards are generally better where we are. Yeah, that's a good point. The fact that you can get away with adding extra floors to a building and not having it checked out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pretty crazy. All right. Well, you guys be careful out there. Okay. Yeah. And if you're in a collapsing building now, you know what to do. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I hope you have a lovely week. And if you haven't and you want to, give us a review because that helps other people find our podcast and listen to our stories. So yeah, thank you in advance. Yeah, you're the best and we love you. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Stay alive until next week. Stay alive. Thank you.